Yeah, well, yeah. the distillery literally pivoted within 10 days and we created hand sanitizer. That was that was that was all our skills brought to the fore of product development, packaging, marketing, sourcing, procuring, everything. And that that helped the distillery a tremendous amount because all the bars in uh, and the restaurants just shut at the beginning of COVID. Hey team, Jason here. I hope you're all well and welcome to another episode of The Wealth Faculty. This week, I got a chance to sit down with a lady, an amazing lady called Pam Brook, and she is the co-founder of Brook Farm, a family business in Byron Bay. Been there many years now, over 20 years, and uh, her and her partner, Martin, have transformed an old dairy farm into a, an icon, a health icon, uh, business in Australia. It's a bit of a family business now. The family is involved in different ways. Uh, they've created a, a gin distillery, uh, winning awards all over the world. Um, but uh, one of the amazing things about Pam, when we talk about uh, the podcast, hey, the Wealth Faculty, Pam's world is about the passion of making sure she's got nutritionally balanced food to take care of the thing that we have which is called the body, it's pretty important to take care of that thing, balance our world, the faculty of your physical well-being and uh, the products and the belief and the process that she and her team have been uh, through over the last 20 years, building and growing their business, the journey uh, of her and her husband um, uh, in the beginning, um, her she started out as a dentist and um, ended up in the world of uh, you know, creating nutrition-based, balanced foods uh, and cool other things. They they've gone on to regenerate their farm. They've they've replanted uh, rainforests. Super cool conversation and chat. I really enjoyed it. It was um, it had a bit of everything for me in the idea of the wealth faculty. Pam and her partner and her family and her team believe strongly in uh, sustainable business practices, sustainable farming, um, and looking after their community, which lands really well for me. Um, and uh, she also is uh, a pretty sharp lady, uh, a very sharp lady when it comes to focusing on business and getting things right and having a go, and really um, an iconic entrepreneur really in Australia today, let's be, let's be honest, um, someone who creates a business and grows it into many, many, many millions of dollars worth of value and uh, that's done over 20 years is sustainable and survives many things and passes on to your family. There's some wisdom um, that someone like that can share with us. So Pam Brook certainly has uh, a huge amount of wisdom. She's a recent author. This is the next part, the chapter of her life, um, a book, We Can All Eat That. Um, about uh, preventing food allergies, and uh, we had a quick chat about that too. But I hope you enjoy this conversation with Pam Brook because I certainly did. Um, until we catch up again, take care. Bye for now. Pam Brook, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. Oh, fabulous to be with you, Jason. I was just chatting with Marcus, uh, a mutual friend of ours, and um, uh, we were having one of the Brookies gins not so long ago, and. Uh, he suggested you and I should have a bit of a chat. We've got some things in common. Well, 
something that I'd love to have in common is a, a multi-generational business pathway, which, uh, which your business is uh, well underway with right now. So look forward to talking about that and many more things today. Um, but yes. uh, if, if you wouldn't mind, as we kick off today, to give uh, my listeners a bit of background from where you guys are now to where you started, you know, 20 year, 22 year business journey from when Brook Farm started and um, uh, what a journey it's been, I'm sure. Um, I'd love to hear about uh, where it sort of all began and maybe sort of give us a little bit of background because we've got property investors and business owners who listen into the Wealth uh, Faculty podcast and uh, I'm sure they would listen uh, into your wisdom over a 20-year journey for creating something pretty spectacular in Australian business that is now nationwide and international. So where did it all begin? Oh, well, look, it... It began a long time before the actual business started when uh, we actually bought some land in Byron Bay. We actually bought it with one of those really wise investment decisions of sight unseen. <laughs> but <laughs> a friend of ours had hopped out of the car and looked at it and um, we were looking <laughs> to move to Byron Bay <laughs> with a group of us with the idea of leaving the city. We we're all fed up with the city. So we bought this 96 acres of land in Byron Bay that uh, was weed infested and we thought, what do we do with weed infested rundown dairy farms? So we actually planted about four and a half thousand macadamia trees. And in the steepest slopes where we couldn't plant macadamias, then we planted eucalypt and rainforest trees. So we sort of started with the environmental stuff then, but also the farming side. But then that was in 89. And then in about 1991 was that famous recession where interest rates went to 22% or 25%. The one we and had to have. The one we had to have. And we were just, <laughs> you know, everyone was just scrambling. Every cent was going into paying whatever interest that we, whatever interest we had. And it was those days where the banks before that would lend you everything you needed. So we had a lot of debt hanging over us. So instead of moving up to Byron Bay to live, we had to wait 10 years. Wow. And in that 10 years, it gave us a chance to really look at the macadamia industry. And we saw that everyone was, no one was valuating. Everyone was treating it as a commodity and sending it overseas for other people to do clever things with. And we felt that from a business model, that didn't make sense to us. So we just, you know, I was a dentist, Martin was a film producer, and we said, Let's start a food business. Can't be that hard, you know. <laughs> but, but we also had a lot of business skills. Like he had a lot of sales and marketing skills. And yeah. as a dentist, I had good financial and listening skills and all of that. So in 99, we moved to Byron Bay to start a valuated food business. And after much trial and development, then in November 2000, we launched at the Bangalore Markets, just the two of us and our two kids who could barely keep their heads above the, you know, their heads were just at the level of the table that you sell. And yes. um, we went from there and, and that was really good because look, the business had started out of seeing an opportunity that others weren't doing. And then by going to the, starting at the markets also, we were talking direct to our consumers, not selling to a retailer straight away. Mm -hmm. So we really got a lot of feedback along the way and gradually built from there into selling into retail and uh, then starting to work with distributors around the country. 
I remember Martin used to love going and doing all the deliveries himself. And then he'd have, I'd be calling him and where are you? He'd be like, oh, I'm having a coffee with so-and-so. He was a great relationship marketer and he loved people. So his customers became some of his great friends as well. And I think that's also a philosophy that even though we've grown and worked through the distributors and, uh, and selling internationally as well, having really great customer relations and trust between us and the customer has been a really important part and a foundation of our business as a family business. Yeah. So we just gradually built from there until we built our own first uh, bakehouse in 2003. And then I gave up dentistry then and I was no longer the cash flow. The business was the cash flow. We were flying solo and we built from there. Yeah. Well, Learning along yeah, the way. I mean, that's great because um, for those listening in, you know, one of the things that uh, I've had the, the pleasure of helping people um, understand as a business owner myself and as a coach, um, uh, it takes time to have these things blossom and grow and be refined over time. It sounds like, you know, the, the beginning of the journey had a little sort of pause button and sometimes, you know, uh, I'm, I'm quite... Um, uh, I'm quite sure you would have been impatient there over that that 10 years. You know, there would have been a couple of times we go, are we going to do this? Should we just get rid of it and move on? Like, you know, talk me through a little bit of that rationale because what I love about this story is that that it was a long-term vision. When, when, when did you decide it was going to be a long-term vision for you guys and it was just going to be the thing you you did wasn't like a, a whim, so to speak? Um, there was always that, I mean, like – First of all, just to even get the business started, we really had to, we really had to work the bank managers because in those days they wanted to every every they, everyone wanted to you to sell up and sell everything and yes. we just worked so hard because we were determined that we weren't going to let everything go that we just started to build. So we worked really hard in Melbourne, and then when we came up here, we'd sold up everything in Melbourne and we had some capital behind us, so we had a bit of a safety net as well and then learning about the business on the way there are a lot of people in the industry who we could take advice from and we also talked with other food producers in our region about that and it was really about I guess um, what's that great line in Star Wars in the first movie where the guy's going in to blow up the Death Star and he says, stay on target, stay on target. Yeah, stay on target, was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, was really about, it was really about that. We knew we had to, I, I had a dollar amount that Martin had to turn over each week and you know, a certain number of customers that we set ourselves to grow each week. And we just, there were some key things that we just kept at and, he played to his strengths and I played to my strengths. Yeah. And I think that's really important in the early days of business. If you're not good at something, then you really need to get some good advice and, and good support, like you were talking about coaching and mentoring. And, and that support makes all the difference. But we'd hit lots of roadblocks. Uh, but then you just learn to just say, well, there's a roadblock. How do I get around it? What do yeah. I have to do differently? We didn't let them get us down. Yeah, yeah. And do you think, like, was that something that you learned maybe somewhere else in your life or was that just something innate in you and, and Martin and, you know, maybe now your family just to, this is where kind of resilient people that we, and when, once we decide we're just going to sort of keep going until we get through. 
I think I grew up in a really resilient family. We spent a lot of time in the mountains and my father was one of the ski pioneers in Victoria. So ah. um, we would, you know, climb, climb the mountains and ski down before the toes were around and that sort of thing. As I was a dentist for 25 years, as a dentist, you know, if the, if the proverbial hits the fan and something's going wrong as you're doing something, you can't say to the patient, oh, God, what am I going to do now? You've got to look cool, calm and collected at all times yes. and just say mentally to yourself, how the hell am I going to get out of here? And then you work it and you you solve the problem because you don't have a choice. Someone's depending on you. Yeah. So I think those resilience skills were like sometimes you, you can't just throw your hands up and walk away. You've got to really work through it and come to some solution that's going to work. Yeah, great yeah. training. And, and um, you know, uh, some people might be thinking, you know, 25 years in a career and then changing to something completely different might be almost mad to think about it or maybe, you know. <laughs> or exciting. <laughs> or exciting, exactly. It depends on yeah. which way you look at the, the coin, isn't it? There's two sides to, you know, all adventures, you know. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I think that's fantastic. Byron Bay, you know, uh, seems to you know, uh, be a little bit of a melting pot for this type of entrepreneurial um, activity, um, you know, when it comes to something a bit outside the box. I had a chance to chat with Charlie Arnott um, a few weeks ago as well. I, I know you guys uh, guy, are, good, are good friends. He's an awesome guy. Um, what do you think? There's something in the water in, in Byron. I've heard it's meant to be some very special, you know, spiritual place. You know, I think that sort of gives a bit more life to this creation and entrepreneurialism in this sort of endeavour, you think? I think that, yeah, they say that in Byron Bay, actually, we have the highest percentage of population who've done tertiary degrees and things. A lot of people oh, yes. move here from yeah. outside. Um, there was something in the air many years ago. People used to breathe it in and um, or smoke it, I think. That also <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that Nimbin? I don't know if it's Byron that Byron Bay. or Nimbin. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, now, there's a real can-do attitude because also it's not a place that you can come to and there's a lot of employment. So when you mm. move here, a lot of people are starting their businesses and starting something together. And because it's a rural community, not a city, it's quite easy to connect with people. So you can yeah. find supports around you. They might not be in the same business as you are by any means, but you can get a lot of supports around you and that's really important that you've got others to talk to. Like when we first moved here, I joined a, a women in business mentoring program as a mentor. And I was mentoring someone who was a surveyor. And it was like, well, dentist mentoring a surveyor, but there are a whole lot of people in the food business in that too, who were starting out. And the same principles really applied yeah. in terms of problem solving and business and resilience and that sort of thing. But we just got really great diverse opinions and I met some great women in those early days. And then Martin and I met loads of other food businesses as time went on too, who were like us just starting. And the power of a, of a community of like-minded people, um, you know, that ties into one of the questions I was going to ask you about your business philosophy, you know, you, you obviously, um, you know, have refined it over the last 20 plus years and, and even in your career prior. 
you know, what, what is your long-term business philosophy now? Like it's multi-generational family business. You've purposefully built it with the family in mind as you've, as you've gone forward. I'm, I'm asking selfishly for me because now I'm, I'm first-generation business and my children are sort of reaching my, my eldest one is now 18 and, you know, we talk about this all the time for my business to be going 20 years also. Um, you know, any tips for me about lining that up as you, as you <laughs> look, look at that next generation? Ah, uh, look, I think they have to want to be in it. I mean, yes. we were, um, Martin and I, how Will entered the business, we were uh, heading overseas on one of the early export trips and Will must have been about 18. We were driving to the airport and, you know, you always have that conversation. Well, maybe other people don't, but we had that conversation, you know, look, if the plane goes down, you'll be okay. We've got insurance <laughs> policies. It's all good. And he's, and we said, you know, and just sell up Brook Farm, it'll be okay. He said, oh, no, no, I'd run the business. I love it. And we sort of, you know, the car nearly drove off the road and we spun our heads around and said, really? And he was passionate about coming in on the business. And that's right. so that's where that started. And then with the, Eddie worked with the, the business for a while, but his passion lay in the spirits industry, mm. but when we started Cape Byron Distillery with Eddie, our youngest son, that was many years later in 2016. But he'd also been through um, his, I guess, apprenticeship working in the spirits industry with a distributor in marketing for a long time. So that was his passion and his baby. And we were all in on that too. And I think that then the philosophy of the business changed, not from not from from selling to well this is something that our kids really want to do we want to make it generational there's a lot of people yes. who in the regional area rely on us for jobs and we had that community responsibility too and so we just moved to becoming a generational business and I think one of the things we did along the way was go to some family business association meetings and I was it was going to ask that yeah yeah is interesting that, look, you, there's no free entry to a family business in, I think, mm. a good family business. Like, I think they have to have the same passion for it. If they don't, they should go and do their own thing. You yeah. want the ones in the family business who have that passion for it and who will make it grow way beyond what, you know, your generation is doing or our generation is doing so that they take it to the next level and put their own, their own footprint there. And so it's also very freeing being a generational family business because then when people come along and say, I want to buy, I want to buy, it's like, no, that's okay. But, you know, we're okay as we are at the moment. It might limit our capital growth in some ways, makes us be more entrepreneurial and creative in other ways too because we're not taking on outside investors. Yeah, well, it seems that that's... Uh... That's working quite nicely for you guys, you know, with um, with the growth in in Brook Farm and also the distillery work. You've, the the gin yeah. and many yeah. of your drinks have won some, you know, <laughs> awards and, and getting worldwide accolades. Well, we can go from Brook Farm breakfast at the beginning of the day to Brookies at the end of the day, so we've got the whole day sewn up. <laughs> that and, is perfect. Um, yeah, but yeah, Brookies has won some great awards and quality, and I think that's the other thing we always had. Premium quality was always one of the standards that we stood for. And that went back to Martin and my early careers is that if you're going to do something, do it well. 
so that you'll always be proud of it. You'll never be apologizing for it, that you'll be really proud of what you've achieved and that, you know, in the retail business or in the food business, someone will buy something once on the way a package looks, but they'll only come back again if the product fulfilled it. And I guess that applies to many things, even a service business. They might try you once and if they don't like what they get, they won't be back. So yeah. you have to have that quality with quality there. Great philosophy. Tell me, uh, you know, and certainly I've done um, and, and am very active in networking in uh, business groups uh, for myself now. Uh, one of the things that uh, I hear often and certainly a few of the businesses that I spend time with are in regional locations and they say it's difficult to find, you know, great people to hire and, and um, you know, the towns are a little bit, you know, slim pickings for, for high quality. What's your experience in that and, and how do you guys navigate that and, and do you purposefully sort of do something extra to build your team? Are you 85 plus team now across the businesses or maybe more? Um, about, around about 80 now, around yep, about yep. 80. COVID was, you know, challenging time. Um, yes. So, um, the, and the distillery has about 35 people now. So wow. both you know, significant teams. And you're quite right in regional areas, it's really hard to find the skills. So the one thing we always hire on is attitude. Mm. Attitude is everything to us. Attitude and cultural fit, because we can train a lot of skills, um, but um, if they don't have the right attitude, especially in a regional area, it's gonna be really hard. You want someone who really work in well with the company and as we built that culture of the business, then it's easier for us to also attract some highly skilled people to our region because of the reputation we've built as an employer and the culture of the business. That makes it a little bit easier. It doesn't necessarily make it really easy. You don't have that great uh, diversity of applications for, high, for the higher management jobs, yeah. but you do still get... It, again, we, you know, someone might have the best skills but not the attitude and we'll hire on the attitude, not on the skills. Yeah. And yeah, then we'll build is... those skills. So building those skills and providing those supports and providing training programs uh, is also really important. So that might be through networks like you have and um, you've just got to uh, grab every training opportunity that you can and a lot of training yeah. in-house too. Yeah, yeah, and it seems part of your business philosophy. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is is really to embrace and support the community, like in a two way, two way relationship. In that way, you know, the the community is is part of your network when it comes to you know your products, but also the people who help and sustain the business long term as well. Yeah, I mean, a business like ours in the regional community makes a huge difference to the community. It's not just it's the people we employ. It's the retailers who sell and it's it, it's like a spider web that goes out beyond there with suppliers and all of that side of things. And when yeah. I was talking about skills before, also sometimes we'll take people with skills in a parallel industry that's completely unrelated. Like we have a great procurement uh, manager and um, she came from she came from the army and working in government to moving into the food industry. She had those procurement skills 
But more importantly, she had the attitude that was the fit. So it didn't matter that she didn't have food industry skills. She had skills in another area that you could bring so that it didn't have to be the perfect match. Yeah, and I, and think I think that's, that's a, a, good, a good lesson in parallel industries. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it certainly rings true for business. Sometimes we, we might be too narrow in yeah. what we're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. That that resonates. That lands for me right now in my business. I'm looking for a certain skill, but I think I need to open it up a little bit right now for uh, opportunity. So, uh, you know, that's, 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 that's fantastic. And, you know, the business-to-business stuff um, that you guys do often as well, talk a little bit about that because often – um, often I see that, uh, you know, well, if we take it back to school, we're taught sort of not to, not to uh, collaborate or not to so-called cheat. You can't copy off other people. You have to do it all yourself. Sometimes in business, it's great to collaborate with other businesses, business to business in your local area and other businesses Australia-wide, even national as well. Oh, I think collaboration is, is everything. I think you, when you collaborate, you don't have to... Uh, you don't have to tell your deepest competitive edges and secrets or whatever, but you can, and you'll collaborate with people who also are like-minded to you in that they have a genuine heartfelt collaboration. They're not out to exploit you. So the collaboration works best when it's a win-win for both sides. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's a really important part of, of collaboration and you learn a lot from other people when it comes to original ideas you know if you think back even to school when they say oh it all has to be your original idea but gee was the idea really original or it was was it that you just were managed what they were asking you to do was interpret something in your own way and put your mm. own spin on it or whatever i mean there's um apart from some amazing technological innovations that are new um, in the food industry um, to create something new, you're using existing products or existing ingredients that are out there. You're just reinterpreting it. So sometimes it's more about the, um, the innovation and the actual practical implementation of what you're doing than you know, you can look at someone else who's got a great idea and they're not doing well with it and you choose to interpret that in a different way and turn it into something completely different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, um, yeah. I don't think we should beat ourselves up for, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. There was nothing wrong with admiring someone who does something well and then reinterpreting it your own way as long as you do it in an original way and in a way that's genuinely heartfelt to you but don't copy their idea and just do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And part of um, part of your collaboration stuff, you're the chair of the Northern Rivers Food Council as well. And, and is that part of your, you know, philosophy of giving back to that community as well as sort of, you know, gaining value as well as giving value? Is that part of that business philosophy for you also? Yeah, very much. When we first started, so um, – there was very few people around in our area. There was a guy from Byron Bay Chili Company, John Boland, who we met in a supermarket and he was doing tastings one day and we talked to him about value adding and moving to Byron Bay. And then when we moved up here, we knew maybe two other people in the food industry. But as we started to meet people, then all of a sudden just ideas would flow, collaborations would flow. We'd, do, we'd just do some things together. We'd share 
you know, trusted packaging suppliers and that sort of thing. And, and in the beginning, there wasn't any network that could do that. There was a government was trying to do that, but really not many businesses trust government to help them. Mm, you yeah. know, uh, you really, you, it's like farmers trust each other and uh, businesses tend to trust other people in their business network. So in about 2010, um, we started that concept of getting the food industry together from the paddock to the plate and just starting to build a network so that people could reach out to people nearby and just have someone to talk to. You didn't have to tell them your, your life secrets or anything. And just getting people to trust each other was a, a big thing because lots of businesses were afraid to tell each other what their problems were. They only wanted yes. to you know, beat their chest and say, this is my successes. Whereas a truly successful network is where you can go for help with solutions as well and get ideas and um, or people connect you with someone, a great accountant, a great finance advisor, you know, a business coach or whatever who might be able to help them, but it comes from a trusted source. So that's yeah. the great idea of having a network. And so now we've got oh, over 185 members in wow. the Northern Food Group and, um, and, and growing. Yeah. So it's very exciting. It really gives a leg up to anyone in the food industry. If they wanted to move to the Northern Rivers, it's a great place to start in the food industry. That's perfect. And and I imagine that that network, that tribe, that community would have been, uh, you know, very supportive. You know, you mentioned COVID before. How did you guys go throughout COVID? You know, dealing with business stress in normal circumstances is is pr pretty full on. And then we, we all had a chance to up our game in COVID, um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> all those plans that were sitting in the cupboard came out yeah, yeah well yeah. the distillery literally pivoted within 10 days and we created hand sanitizer that was that was that was all our skills brought to the fore of product development packaging marketing sourcing procuring everything and that that helped the distillery a tremendous amount because all the bars in uh, and the restaurants just shut at the beginning of covid um, and with Brook Farm, we lost all our airline business, which was a big part of our business. We did, you know, airline, international airlines and domestic. So that also all went overnight. And so did all the food service business to restaurants yeah. and cafes. So that was a real change. Uh, so Job Seeker was great. But then we just, both businesses hunkered down. They leaned up. They looked at what's, what opportunities are there to, to grow? So we just look for every opportunity. And, um, and Brook Farm started to do some contract manufacturing. That was a, a clever way of doing some things as well because we had spare capacity and invested in equipment to do that. And then we all really built our retail and our online and, and that side of things. And you just seize every opportunity that you can. Yeah. Yeah. But retail, we were fortunately that we had people like to eat and they like to drink when they're stuck in their houses. So this <laughs> yes. is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I, I did see, uh, I do a segment with a buddy of mine in the, the stock market and and uh, alcohol sales uh, rose significantly in COVID. So uh, <laughs> you know, maybe that's that's a good part of it. Um, but would you mind just talking me through that if you've got you know the ability to recount um, because I love these stories, uh, 
often often many of us are handed the same card to play um, and some play it uh, differently. Let's say um, uh, at our worst times, maybe as a victim, you know, this is, I'm not going to get through this or as an opportunity to say, hey, listen, let's pivot. Let's, let's, let's throw all our might at, um, you know, uh, staying in business, but we have to change, you know. Can you talk me through, you know, and maybe to the listeners in, because I know many of my business associates and my network faced something very similar and had, you know, varied successes in pivoting. How did you guys do? Did you call, you know, was it all hands on deck and let's do this team? And could you step us through the five steps or the 10 steps of that process? Um, let's see. If I look at, if I look at Brook Farm, and so Will, Will really led us through COVID there. And so got a great management team there. Got, and so it really was like all hands on deck. What are we yeah. going to do? And you make sure that we knew exactly what our financial position was, what we had left, and, what, and we had to be really realistic, not optimistic about yes. what we were going to get in because no one no one knew what was going to happen with COVID. It was just this love that. Yes. Yeah, you were going down this black hole and you didn't know where it was where it was going to end. And so we expected that we would lose the airline business and we expected that we would lose the food service. So we really had zero expectations from those. And we said, well, right, what can we do? We can really ramp up our retail and our online and make sure that we're really backing all our retailers all around Australia because there was massive demands. Um, I know a mate of mine, he's in that makes pasta and like he's got a very big business. Suddenly he was back on the production line again because they just had to be go, 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 go. It was like the toilet paper thing. Yes. And, um, and so for Muesli for a while, we rode that wave. But we also knew that under, underlying it, there was a lot of danger. So we really had to lean down, change a lot of, we really leaned our manufacturing practices. And we said, how can we make our production line more efficient? How mm. can we manage our procurement? So we're going to lean that down and still not drop an ounce in quality, but we have to, what, what if, if, if you've never had to, so it's a bit like, you know, if you have to go on the diet, then you'll do it. And yes. so we had no choice. We, we had to do it because throwing up our hands in horror was no good because we had so many people depending on us. And so each area, quality assurance, uh, production, procurement, finance, um, and then together, you know, everyone agreed to cut, cut out a day of work that we would do that. And it was across the management team, across the whole business that we leaned down. And we said, it's, this is the reason why we're doing it. We think it's gonna be for this long. Uh, Job Seeker came in and, and helped a huge amount, but the business was in it together. It wasn't yeah. management saying to everybody, this is what you're gonna do. It was like, they really, so they went back to their teams, say in manufacturing and production and worked out a lean way of doing it. So I think really engaging with the skills that we had internally and valuing those people was really important. And just doing some things fast. It was like, mm -hmm. you know, that's a good idea. We're gonna try it. It's not like, oh, mm, what are we gonna do? It's like in the distillery when we said, 
we're going to switch to sanitizer. Yeah. We said, yeah, let's do it. So came up with a recipe within four days and um, then had to hassle and hassle the, the tax department to be able to do it legally and uh, the excise people. And everyone just push, 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 push because that was something that for a while we were making more sanitizer than we were gin. But we had to push, push, push to make it happen. And so if we set a path, we just moved heaven and earth to make it happen. I yeah. Think. And everyone in the team did that. There's not one person who you could say was responsible for that. Everyone pulled their weight. Yeah. And that and way we could keep the people from the cellar door on because they went into the production line until the cellar door could start again, you know, six months later, that sort of thing. What so a great, just trying what a great to hang outcome. on to the good people. Yeah. 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 I, and I just thinking sort of, you know, the lessons from that, moment in time could be you know forever lessons really at the end of the day about you know businesses you know maybe sometimes being stuck in our ways i certainly had a very similar experience with our team you know we're we're just under a hundred team across australia and new zealand and it was like well we used to do it one way gang and we can't we have to do it another way and if yeah and if we weren't forced to i don't think anyone would have got on board but <laughs> no and also, like, you've always assumed, oh, I can buy that or I can do this. And now it was like, well, no, you can't. Yes. We have to think of it. How do we do that differently or smarter without spending those dollars on it because we don't have them? Yeah. 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 And I, and I love that, um, that philosophy and that value that I sort of picked up in there that your team and your people were important to the, to the now and the future and how can we take care of um, all of these people who believed in us, so we need to believe in them too, and you know, as best as possible, um, arrange it in a way we can all do this together. So, you know, yeah, uh, well done, yeah, good yeah. job, good job, um, um, in that sort of space. Maybe changing gears a little bit. I know, you know, the environment and sustainability um, on Brook Farm is is a real sort of key part of your almost special source, or the the attractiveness to it um, as part of your product. Um, value uh, also you know you guys mentioned about or you mentioned about uh, uh, planning over you know 35,000 I think it was rainforest uh, trees and eucalyptus trees and regenerating part of a, a an old ancient forest as well I've got 100 acres in Bangalore out at, out on the Wilson oh, wow. River myself um, so yeah no asking for a friend me um, you know <laughs> You know, what did that... It's not hard to do. I, I'd <laughs> love to. I'd love to. Yeah, yeah. So how did that start for you guys? Was that a conscious focus about, hey, listen, we want to also add value to the land, maybe, you know, similar to Charlie Arnott and, you know, that sustainable regenerative farming, that sort of stuff for you guys? I think, look, we started off as conventional farmers. Well, we weren't the farmers because we were still living in Melbourne and so we employed you know, uh, a, consultant, a consultant or to, you know, run the farm and a farmer to run the farm. So we relied very much in the early days on their advice. Um, but with the rainforest, we planted that by chance because we'd met this wonderful guy called David Hum who had moved up to this area to grow stone fruit and had like 100 acres and, you know, was going to grow 90 acres of stone fruit and dabble with 10 acres of rainforest and ended up with 95 acres of rainforest and no stone fruit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, and he helped, he got us, 
I think he got it in the blood. He, he gave it to it. He gave that infection to us. And when you start to see something grow and change, and so for 10 years before we moved up, we would come and visit three or four times a year. And we were the people doing the rainforest regeneration. We would go in and kill the weeds and um, find where the plants were that we'd planted and see them grow. And the boys, when they were little, you know, Eddie would be mm. walking through grass that was up to his head. And don't worry, Eddie, there's no snakes here, that sort of thing. <laughs> and, um, and so they grew up seeing this forest, which is now this beautiful, majestic rainforest from scratch when it was just Lantana and Camp for Laurel. Yeah, wow. yeah. And then as that happened, when we moved up here and we moved to live and we're living on the farm, you're like, you know, the way that we run this farm really has to be in harmony with the way that we live. And so then we started to reach out a lot more to other farmers who were doing more regenerative farming. And farming has just even traditional farming has evolved amazingly over the last 30 years. The way that farmers used to do things 30 years ago is completely different today. And now um, the regenerative farming where you're enriching your soils and, uh, and putting more back into the soils and leaving the soils in better condition after harvest than before is seen as, it's not seen as weird and out there, it's seen as conventional farming for many farmers these days. Yes. And it's really inspiring when you have farmers like Charlie Arnott who run a successful farm and other farmers who are nearby can look and say, oh, he's doing well and he's doing things differently to me. How is that working? So that philosophy of being more holistic and working more with nature then also runs through the whole Brook Farm thing of we've always been just about real food. Same yeah. in the distillery. It's done from, there's nothing artificial. There's, it's all comes from the rainforest and, uh, and beautiful herbs and spices distilled the right way. And with Brook Farm, it's taking great ingredients and then turning into the real food by the way you cook and, and create something. So making you a, give yeah, one the same recipe and they can, one can make a botch of it and one can, you know, turn it into something delicious just by the way they do it. And uh, so staying true to our origins of the farm has been fundamental in to both the businesses. It's kept us true to our roots that we really in contact every day with the land that we grow things on. And sometimes people disconnect it a bit too much from where their food is grown or the air they breathe and where it comes yeah. from. So I think it's important in business to keep grounded that way and to make sure that what we're doing isn't going to be harmful to that. Yeah, that, that makes so much sense. The I was going to ask that question about, you know, being connected to in a, in a, a deeper way to what we do, like, you know, you're talking about, um, you know, in the beginning, you guys were all together planting those trees and seeing those things grow. I grew up in the country also and, you know, very um, real-life experience of, you know, the chickens from hatching out of the eggs to ending up, you know, on the plate, um, you know, and, and the cycle of life in that, in that world and certainly feel much more connected, I think, than a lot of my friends that I know who, who have never had that experience. And um, I think that's something special that uh, I'd encourage anyone to 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 be involved in, in 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 one way shape or form if they ever get a chance for sure yeah 
I think it's an important uh, responsibility for people to, even if they never touch the land, is to understand the consequences of what they buy or what they mm. do to their um, to their environment, to the farms, and to the you know if they're buying food, where did it come from? Uh, I think Charlie always says, uh, "Who's my farmer? Not who's my doctor." You know, who's my yeah. farmer? How was it grown? And and even at Brook Farm, with our supplies of everything, we say that same thing: "Who's our farmer? How are they growing this?" Yeah, that's a great philosophy. And you know, uh, I was um, I was listening to a podcast the other day, uh, and um, uh, a lady called Pippa Grange, and she talked about this thing called uh, like a deep win, like a, a surface win is like, oh, you know, we sold our products and that's great. You know, we're maybe, you know, that was wonderful to get an award or something like that. But she was talking about something like the deeper win and, and maybe that's what you're alluding to here is like, you know, not only are we, we winning on, on the surface, but deeply we're winning by, you know, sustainable farming, you know, regenerating the land, you know, giving meaning and jobs and and maybe some hope to local communities as well and and really sort of weaving that into the deep philosophy of the business um and maybe uh putting a bit of soul back in the business uh, by the sounds of that uh for for you for you pam and you know the generations that uh are now sort of leading the way yeah i mean work is what half our life isn't it you know we spend you know so many hours of our waking day at work and i think it has to really mean something to you you Mm. really have to it has to be more than a financial benefit um i think that um the financial benefit for all the employees is really important but they also have to get something out of it that uh that's meaningful that gives them meaning in in life and makes them feel valued as well. I think that's really important. You need to, we all innately want to feel valued and in some way and and our work experience has to give that to us as well. Totally. No matter where we work, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, one of the the big recognitions for, for me and many business owners, I'm sure potentially you guys may have experienced this as well with lockdowns and working from home and, you know, um, you know, uh, some mental wellness, you know, um, for for our teams, something really important to observe and sort of understand as we go. Um, tell me a little bit about sort of your now, um, you know, changing gears for your own personal uh, role, you're sort of handed over the baton, so, so to speak, and, and from one of the Thank things, you, you know, <laughs> what's, uh, what's, what's on the plans what's in the future for for you you've just uh written a book we we can we can eat all that um and um so being an author you can sort of tick that off the list you know what's on the menu for for pam uh look i think life's an adventure and some people say you know you're going to do that r thing you know and i say i don't know what the r word is it doesn't mean anything to me it's like, well, where's the, where's, the, where's the next adventure or where's the next calling or um, where's the next uh, problem to solve? So uh, writing, writing, so the book is We Can All Eat That and that was about, um, that came about from meeting, some, meeting a paediatric allergist when we were developing some food products for young babies. And it was about how to explain to families and take the fear out of food around food allergies and how to feed your babies well in the first 12 months of life. And then how is the family to eat together and 
which is so good for family, mental and physical health too. So it was a bit about taking the fear out of food, also going back to real food because being part of the food industry, I see the good and the bad. And I see, you know, there's so much crap that we eat and there's so much good stuff yeah. that we can eat too. And it's really important just to get the balance right. Yeah. I think that's, um, that's so important. And one of the, you know, one of the, the challenges I, I think um, many of us have thought about in the past with, with, you know, eating better food is, is the cost. But, you know, for me right now, I think that's, um, that's never been less of an issue than, than ever before. I can, I can see, you know, certainly when our family's shopping, you know, the, the price differences, you know, um, and the quality, um, you know, a no, uh, there's no other choice really at the end of the day, but for some people, you know, you have to sort of balance it up, but it's great to know, you know, there's different ways to COVID, go about it. COVID was the one, you know, the, the great thing that came out of COVID um, was that everyone was, they had to eat at home um, yes. and for a while. There wasn't that much takeaway food and, People learn to, were learning to cook at home, but you know the, the myth that it's very expensive to eat fresh is also, you know, you can eat fresh as long as you and and at low cost, but you need to eat in season. Don't buy out of season. Yeah. And also, yeah. we learned a lot about food waste, and you know, eat eat the fridge dry. You know, <laughs> there shouldn't be a lot of throw out in the fridge. So, learning to cook and be creative with. Um, with what's in the fridge is part of what we talk about in the book as well. It's just like, you know, buying what you need, cooking it well, using up the leftovers, but it's you can eat really healthily and eat fresh and eat at low cost. It doesn't have to be white bread and Devon, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, one of the things that uh, I was, you know, fascinated to learn of recent times, um, uh, the drawdown, the drawdown, research um which i'm sure you're aware of food waste is one of the major contributors to you know um um some of the challenges we have and being more efficient with our food waste makes makes a lot of sense um, um and uh yeah i i really uh, i really love that stuff from paul hawk and it was quite uh quite amazing yeah. to to see so um no, wonderful from the farm right through to the restaurant level is you know there's an amazing amount of food that's wasted at, at the farm because of the pickiness of supermarkets and things and the inability to value add that stuff so it goes through that whole food chain of of waste management and um one of the great things that we did at brook farm is that nothing goes to waste so if the food falls to the floor, it gets swept into big bins and that goes to feed the pigs and the chickens of local farmers. If the food is good quality, but for some reason it can't be packaged, it might be the pack's the wrong shape and size and it's not worth doing something with it, then it all goes either to um, uh, food programs or yeah, food programs locally and regionally. So. The important thing is not to waste, you know, to look for the opportunities not to waste and um, save yourself a fortune in garbage as well. Yes. <laughs> but you also look after a lot of people, a lot of animals as well. <laughs> I love that. Um, I, uh, I grew up feeding the pigs and the chickens. It's, uh, it's a very fond memory for me as a, as a child, so I love it. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward, oh, to, <laughs> looking forward to that. I, I've, uh, I've got an acre where I live now and... Um, uh, uh, I've uh, I've run a fair few chickens um, 
on the acre. So quite uh, quite good for the kids to be involved in getting the eggs in the morning and feeding the chickens at night. So it's been great. No, that's good. It's still a lot of land to manage too, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is. It is. Uh, you know, you, <laughs> it's a bit of a family affair. <laughs> What, uh, so Pam, tell me, um, you know, a little bit about, um, you know, for your journey in business, you know, you've, 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 um, you know, obviously from the outside, you know, everything you guys have touched has turned to gold. I'm sure it hasn't always been that way. Um, and, uh, along the way, um, many of us, uh, end up consciously or unconsciously choosing people to join their, their faculty, their advisors, the people that you rely on from time to time. That's, part of a bit of a play on words for my podcast which is the wealth faculty so the the faculties of your own personal wealth but also the faculty of people you surround yourself with to be able to you know go 20 years uh plus in business and and still be in business that's quite an achievement worldwide as you know i think it's that you you'd be in the top sort of one percent of businesses worldwide that still exist after 20 years <laughs> so tell me about um you know is there a number of people or, or, a, or a type of advisor uh, faculty member that you've, you've relied on over that sort of 20 plus year period when it, when it comes to succeeding in business? Um, I think uh, maybe some, some others around me, like when we started Brook Farm, Stone and Wood, a great local brewery had started not long before us and, uh, or not long after us. Um, so, you know, we used to bounce ideas a lot off them and they used to uh, come and rent our boardroom for a slab of beer and was welcome. <laughs> the the <laughs> beer economy. <laughs> and I think you take perspective from a, a great number of people. They might not be in business. They might be in a different part of life. And I think having that balance of life around business is, is very important. If you're, all about your business all the time then i think then one day you can wake up and say what am i doing so i think mm -hmm. it's really important to have that life balance between the rest of your life and business so being a family business for us family had to be carefully compartmentalized so that we didn't drain the energy of the family into the business so as a family yes. it's really important for us to connect and and have fun um, and also for us to pursue our, our dreams and do silly things outside of the business um, puts the business into perspective. Um, so uh, I think that's, that's really important too because that gives you longevity. Um, yeah. uh, what is it? I read a, my father left me a book that was written in the 1920s or the 1930s about um, the joy of business and how to find happiness in business. It was written right back in the 1920s or so. And the philosophies are still the same. You have to find the joy in life in your business. If it's so serious that it sucks every bit of joy out of you, it's not, you're not going to last. It's not going to be right. It's not going to be good for you or your mental health. Because we all know that business is, it's not always good. You've got lots of times when it's really tough and, you know, you're holding things together by the skin of your teeth. Yes. But it's, it's when you get those, the good parts too, that keep you going. You, you celebrate the milestones and, um, and face the next challenges. Yeah. Learning from the, the worst bits, not just the best bits as well. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice. And that's, um, 
that's that that's the circle of life isn't it you know there's there's not uh there's not daylight without the night and you know there's joy can't be experienced without the sort of the lows either so um you know business is is uh is part of that um that excellent journey or the amazing journey we're well we're choosing to be on anyway as business owners <laughs> i think yeah. so and having those friends that are outside your businesses i think is good it keeps you grounded there in different areas of life altogether it yes. keeps, um, yeah so that yeah you're not just talking work when you get together with other people yeah <laughs> well, my, my, my kids so say that to me all the time stop talking work dad <laughs> But I also look at your your library behind you and I think, you know, always um, to always be seeking and always open to new ideas and just being adventurous in your mind is really important. That keeps you, that keeps you young in business. That's yes. what the book was called, Keeping Young in Business. And I think just being always open to new ideas, no matter how long you've been in business, not thinking that I know all this is, and that's, an easy trap to fall into when you think, oh, I'm so good at this. Well, there, you know, pride comes before the fall and bang you down. And yes. so, um, yeah. Great reminder. Well, that, that, that kind of brings me to my final question for, for today, Pam, and I really appreciate you sharing some of your wisdom. There's been some pennies dropped for me, that's for sure. So uh, been been wonderful. But I do ask one question of everybody um, uh, at the end of the conversation, but what is the true meaning of wealth to you, Pam Brooke? Ah, uh, look, health is wealth, first of all, isn't it? You know, mm, we've really yeah. appreciated that in the last year. So yeah. if you've got your good health and your family around you, um, I could live in a lot smaller house in a smaller place and still be, still be, uh, you know, okay. If, if you have your health and your family and friends around you, that's, that's wealth to me, I think. Uh, do I need a lot? Um, some people need a lot, but um, if we really look at what we really need to survive, I don't need a lot, but I, um, I value, uh, need to find that, be able to, if I can step out and walk in that fresh air every day and have good friends and family and share, um, and share laughter every day, that's a, that's a great thing, yeah. And I think it's important to be um, uh, to be loved by others around you, and to love others is is a really important thing. I think during COVID, everyone got dogs, didn't they? You know, and yeah. there's nothing no more faithful <laughs> companion than a dog that loves you unconditionally. I can see why people needed that in COVID because it was so hard for so many people because they didn't have that contact with others, mm. and. Um, just to have that wealth of friendship around you. Um, yeah. That if you're satisfied, you've got enough to put on the table and, you know, you've got your own health and you've got your family and friends around you. That's, that's don't need much more than that. Some simple things in and life. An exciting life, a bit of a journey, something to look forward to, eh? A bit of adventure <laughs> and excitement. Makes the pulse <laughs> from time to time. You've got to be a bit scared from time to time. You don't want it to be safe. Never be safe. I love it. Well, thank you, Pam. Really appreciate you joining me on the Wealth Faculty today. And I know that many of our listeners will enjoy the conversation and the wisdom you've shared today. So thank you very much. Oh, lovely to talk with you, Jason. Take care. Thank you. You too. 
Hey, thanks for joining us on The Wealth Faculty. Hope you enjoyed. Make sure you subscribe. We're all good podcasts are found. You can find us there. And if you want to watch it, you can subscribe on YouTube, Positive Mentor TV. And until the next episode, take care. Bye for now.